Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 8, 9, and 10 of Allegiant. So where we left off, Triss and Four, they did it on the top of that uncomfortable metal structure with the discs and the floating beams. Then Evelyn staged a public demolition of the choosing bowls, which was just crazy. And then Triss had a run in with the Allegiant and they're like, come meet us where you made your confession. And she's like, okay, whatever. Oh, and also Four told her that Caleb's trial would be in the morning. And he did that via note because they're still pretending to be broken up, even though they just had sex in the park. So we start chapter eight and it's a Triss chapter and it's the next morning and she's fretting about Caleb's trial. She's worrying about the verdict, even though she kind of isn't that worried because she kind of hates him because he sort of kind of uh, almost let her die. He was all for Triss being executed. So now she's like, why should I bother if he should be executed? And she's thinking, well, of course he will be executed because all of Janine's loyalists are getting executed. So she says, I don't care. I do care. I don't know. And then Christina comes in and she says, hey, Triss. And there's Uriah also lurking behind her. And listen to this. Uriah still smiles all the time, but now his smiles look like they're made of water about to drip down his face. What? So Uriah's still smiling, but his smiles look like they're made out of water. What the f- His smile looks like it's going to drip down his face. Maybe he's got Bell's palsy, Triss. Maybe that's what's happening. A-, a smile made out of water. I've never heard of that. And so Christina says, what's news? And she checks the room, their dorm room, just to make sure that it's empty. Even though she says, although I already know it's empty. Everyone is at breakfast as required by our schedules. And then she says, I asked Uriah and Christina to skip a meal so that I could tell them something. So she's like, oh, of course no one's going to be here because we all have to be at breakfast. And yet you're not at breakfast. Christina and Uriah aren't at breakfast. So why is she so sure that no one else is skipping breakfast? So she tells them about getting cornered in one of the erudite labs last night with the allegiance and the pillowcase and telling them to meet her. And Christina's like, wow, why'd you only just punch them? I thought you would have bloody killed them. And she's like, well, I was outnumbered, okay? And she feels bad because she's like, it's not very dauntless of me not to punch everybody. (laughs) 
And then she's like, wait a minute, <laughs> the faction system's done with. Why do I even care about being dauntless? And it's like, oh my God, I don't know, Dal. I wish I knew, but I don't know. So Christina asks, like, what do you think they want just to leave the city? And Triss is like, I don't know, but let's join them. She says, it's going to be impossible to get out of the city without someone's help. And I'm not just going to stay here learning how to drive buses and going to bed when I'm told to. See, I said last week that I think there's a lot of panic around them sharing the factionless jobs. Evelyn's trying to restructure the society. She's trying to make a more equitable working relationship for everyone. And that I like it. Tris says, I'll do a lot of things, but I'm not going to learn how to drive a bus. I'll kill someone, sure. I'll zip line off of a building. I'll even let my brother get executed, but I refuse to drive a bus. And Christina and Uriah are like, eh, I guess, I guess I don't want to drive a bus either. And she says, look guys, you don't have to come, but I need to get the hell out of here. I need to know who Edith Pryor was and who's waiting for us outside the fence, if anyone. And then Uriah's like, yeah, I'm kind of interested as well. So Christina is like, okay, let's go. We're going to go to the meeting. And she says, good, can one of you tell Tobias I'm supposed to be keeping my distance since we're broken up, wink. She says, let's meet in the alley at 11.30. And Uriah says, yep, okay, I'll tell him. Uh, I'm with him in his group today. We're learning about factories. I can't wait. And he smirks and wait is written in italics. So you can tell he's stressing it for sarcasm. Oh, I can't wait to learn about factories. Blue collar jobs, no thanks. And Uriah says, can I tell Zeke too? Or is he not trustworthy enough? And she thinks about it. So like, clearly Zeke's probably the leader of the Allegiant. And she's like, okay, sure. Make sure he doesn't spread it around. It's meant to be a secret. So she checks her watch. It's been 15 minutes since Caleb's trial started. So she thinks, yep, there's probably a verdict by now. I have to go and learn my factionless job. Oh, I'm so anxious. Christina puts a hand on Triss's shoulder, but then they don't talk about it. And then, okay, that's it. So then we cut to later. Triss has drawn a map on her arm of how to get to the Canda headquarters because that's where they think the meeting is. And she does say, I know how to get there, but I just want to know the side streets that will keep us away from prying factionless eyes. Seems a bit unnecessary to be drawing a map on your arm. Was there no piece of paper lying around that she could have used? Drawing a map on your arm. If they do catch you, how are you going to explain that away? So they meet up with Uriah outside and he's wearing all black, but she can see a hint of abnegation gray peeking over the collar of his sweatshirt. So just this little sliver of gray amongst his black clothes. And she's like, whoa, what a mind fuck. It's so strange to see my dauntless friends in abnegation colors. He's in all black with a tiny little bit of gray, just peeking out over his sweatshirt. And she's like, whoa, I think she needs to get over it. Honestly, she needs to get over it. She goes, it's so weird. So weird thinking of them wearing abnegation gray under their dauntless black. And she's still making out like everyone's wearing like the Joseph and the Technicolor dream coat. But no, he's wearing all black with just a smidge of gray underneath. (laughs) She's blown away. So Uriah says, I told Four and Zeke, they're going to meet us there. Let's go. So then she starts running around consulting the map on her arm. And Tris says to Christina, where's Kara? And Christina says, I don't know. I don't think she got an invitation, which is really bizarre. I know that she wants to leave the city. And okay, 
So Kara's clearly also going to be there already. She's probably a part of the Allegiant. Also, I love how they're like, where's Kara? Did you tell Kara to meet in the alley at 11.30? Like, well, of course she didn't get the invitation. You didn't invite her. So then Uriah's like, oh no, which way do we turn? And so she has to use the light from her watch to consult her arm. And she's like, oh, let me just see. Um, Randolph Street. Meanwhile, surely you know how to get to fucking Kanda. Just, just turn down the dark streets. So then they get to Kanda headquarters, which they call the Merciless Mart, remember? Not too sure why, but that's its nickname. And they're like, oh no, we've got to go walk up a million flights of stairs. And someone says, well, maybe they turned the elevators on. And Uriah says, not a chance. I bet Evelyn's monitoring all the electricity usage. It's the best way to figure out if people are meeting in secret. And yet, didn't you just go to the Hancock building yesterday and turn the generator on to run the elevator to go up and look at the roof? And now he's like, oh, she's probably monitoring electricity usage and shutting it down. She didn't yesterday. And Teresa's like, oh no, stairs. I hate walking up stairs. So then we cut to, they're at the top of the stairs. She's puffed. It's five minutes to midnight. She's got to catch a breath. And Uriah was right. There's not a single light on because they can't tip Evelyn off with their electricity usage. And then she sees Tobias emerge. And she says, since our date, I have spoken to him only in covert messages. I have to resist the urge to throw myself at him. It's been like a day or two. I think it's been two days. So they're hugging and she's having a sniff of him. And she says, again, he smells like wind. She said that at the top of that Jay Pritchett pavilion. Is this becoming a trend? Trend alert, Tobias smells like wind, like wind. What does wind smell like? And so Tris asks for, she's like, oh, did you find out about Caleb? And he goes, ah, let's talk about that later. (laughs) And she goes, well, okay. Obviously that means they're going to execute him. Thanks for breaking it to me softly. So she says, they're going to execute him, aren't they? And he just nods. (laughs) So then they walk into the room where they were once interrogated under the influence of truth serum. She says like, that's not a common occurrence because it happened this book just a couple of chapters ago as well. There's a mix of familiar and unfamiliar faces in the room. So there's Susan and Robert, there's Peter. Peter, Peter's an allegiant, remember him? Uriah and Zeke are there with Tori, tattoo artist Tori who killed Janine. She's still just wandering the streets. Christina's with her mum and her sister. And then there's two nervous looking erudite in the corner. And she can tell that they're erudite because of, you know, their haircuts and stuff. So Christina calls her over and she goes, oh, this is my mum. And this is my sister. This is Tris. And her mum goes, yeah, we, we know. She goes, obviously, we saw their interrogations several weeks ago, Christina. Remember, because Kanda, they're all about truth telling, which basically means they're blunt assholes. And Christina's like, well, I I know you know who she is. I'm just introducing to be polite. And her mum goes, politeness is deception. And she's like, oh my God, relax. And so then her sister turns to Tris and says, so you killed Christina's boyfriend? And she's like, whoa, that's a bit fucking rough. She says, her words create a cold feeling inside me, like a streak of ice divides one side of my body from the other. Okay, so she's being sliced in two by a, a giant ice pick. Can you just say like, her words turned me cold. You don't need to say her words turned me cold like ice dividing one side of my body from another. How clunky. And Christina's like, geez, you wonder why I left our faction. Being honest doesn't mean you can say whatever you want whenever you want. So they walk off because yeah, her mum and her sister don't seem like very nice company. And Christina says to her, oh, sorry about that. They're not really the forgiving type. And she goes, it's fine. I say, though it's not because yeah, her body's been 
torn in half by a giant ice cube. And again, she's playing sort of the victim with the whole feeling guilt about killing Will thing. Like you didn't have to kill him. She says, I thought that when I received Christina's forgiveness, the hardest part of Will's death would be over. But when you kill someone you love, the hard part is never over. Oh, well, put that on a pillowcase. But when you kill someone you love, the hard part is never over. Oh, isn't that so true? Uh, I think we can all relate to that. So then it's midnight, a door across the room opens and in walk two lean silhouettes. The first is Joanna Reyes. She's the former spokesperson of Amity. And Tris reminds us that she's identifiable by the scar that crosses her face. She's always got to bring that up, doesn't she? I'm remembering now in the last book, she was constantly bringing up that scar face. And then also she's recognizable because there's a hint of yellow peeking out from under her black jacket. So yeah, she's Amity because she's wearing Amity yellow underneath all of the black. And then the second is another woman and she's like, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, she's wearing blue. She looks a bit like Janine. I can't see her face. Oh my God, is it Janine? She's statuesque. She's blonde, just like Janine. She's wearing glasses, just like Janine did. But no, it's Kara. And I think that's meant to be a huge reveal because it's like end of paragraph, new paragraph, Kara, full stop, new paragraph. Kara and Joanna are the leaders of the Allegiant. Bum, bum, bum. Kind of figured that when you were like, where's Kara? Anyone heard from Kara? Nah, Kara didn't get invited to the Allegiant party. We all sort of expected that it was gonna be Kara. Although I don't know how she was so busy because she was like in prison with you for five days. She must've gotten to work as soon as she got out of there. And so Kara says, hi, I'm not meant to be here. So I'm gonna keep it short. Some of you such as Zeke and Tori have been helping us for the past few days. And then she goes, oh my God, Zeke. She goes, I stare at Zeke. Zeke has been helping Kara again. Yeah. Sort of foreshadowed with the whole, like, is Zeke going to come? Does Zeke know about this Allegiant thing? Yeah. Zeke's all over it. Apparently. I wonder who it is that she punched. I'd, I'd love to find that out. So then Joanna says, some of you are here because we want to ask for your help. All of you are here because you don't trust Evelyn Johnson to determine the fate of this city. And then Kara lays out the plan. So she says, we believe in following the guidance of the city's founders, which has been expressed in two ways. The formation of the factions and the divergent mission expressed by Edith Pryor to send people outside the fence to help whoever is out there once we have a large divergent population. God, that's clunky. That is so clunky. She says, we believe that even if we have not reached that divergent population size, the situation in our city has become dire enough to send people outside the fence anyway. She says, in accordance with the intentions of our city's founders, we have two goals, to overthrow Evelyn and the factionless so that we can reestablish the factions and to send some of our number outside the city to see what's out there. Okay, what I don't get is, they're allegiant, right? So they wanna be back in factions. So they want to uphold the original founders of the city, their vision. And yet, didn't they just see a video which just explained that the whole thing was like an experiment anyway? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We believe her because we also want to abide by her rules and send out divergent people. So even though we are taking at face value that they conned us and locked us in this cage city so that we could breed divergent people, we're still gonna do that in the faction system. We know they bullshitted us, but we're sticking to it. And what's wild to me is that we started this book and it was sort of presented to us 
that Triss would be divergent and she'd sort of dismantle the faction system. But really, it all comes back to them wanting to uphold the faction system. So now we're meant to be rooting for these allegiant people who are actively trying to reinstall the division of society into five different personality types. And with that comes all the problems that we identified when we first heard about the city. So you've got the faction system, but then you have all these initiates and you don't accept them all and you let some of them become factionless and live in poverty and do all the shit jobs like driving buses and working in factories. They have to beg for scraps from the abnegation sector who are people who aren't allowed to look into their own reflections. They're all happy with that. They want to go back to that. I thought the divergent people were going to eventually liberate the faction system, but no, now we're, now we're meant to be defending the faction system. That crazy backward system. I never would have thought. So Joanna, she's going to focus on overthrowing Evelyn within the city and Kara's going to lead a smaller team outside beyond the fence. And she wants to take Christina, Triss, Tobias, Tori, Zeke, and Peter. Because they've proven their skills to Kara. And Triss is like, Peter, that asshole? You want him? And Kara says, well, yeah, he kept the erudite from killing you. And also she reveals that it was Kara who helped Peter prevent Triss's execution and gave him the technology to fake her death. And Kara's like, you never thought about how that happened? And Triss is like, no, I didn't. I, I never thought twice about how someone faked my death. So then some erudite girl on the other side of the room, she goes, that's a lot of dauntless people. And she has thick eyebrows that don't stop growing in the middle and pale skin. <laughs> that's the descriptor we get of her. All right, so she's got a unibrow. Okay, she's pale with a unibrow. Good to know. So Zeke says, sorry, would love to go, but I can't. Got to hang out with Shauna. You know, her sister just died, blah, blah, blah. And Uriah's like, cool, I'll go instead then. And Kara's like, okay, whatever. I don't care. You're interchangeable characters to me. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So then the erudite girl with the unibrow, she says, Kara, you'll need to get out of the city fast, which means you should get someone who can operate the trains. And Kara's like, okay, well, does anyone here know how to drive a train? And she's like, yeah, I do, bitch. Like, that's why I suggested it. Was that not implied? And so they're like, okay, well, erudite girl, you can come because you can operate a train. So then a plan comes together. Stephanie and Rose are going to volunteer Evelyn's movements. The Amity compound are going to give them trucks for when the railroad tracks end. The Dauntless and Tori are going to find weapons. The Erudite girl's going to, I don't know, hack into the train system. And then they're like, well, there's only one question left. And Kara asks it. And she goes, when should we go? And Tris says, tomorrow night. And that's the end of the chapter. So, but like, I don't buy that. They've got this whole plan with trucks and guns and distracting Evelyn. And the last thing they decide on is when to do it. Like, (laughs) no, I think that would have come up earlier. But apparently not. They're going to escape tomorrow night. Great. End of chapter. Then we go to chapter nine, which is a Tobias POV. They're walking back to Erudite headquarters and he's holding Triss's hand. So I guess they're not trying to be discreet anymore. I wonder if they're still taking the back streets using the map on Triss's arm or they just don't care. And so Force says, Triss, hang back a bit. And they let Uriah, Zeke and Christina walk ahead of them. And he's like, come on, hang back. Come on. And they must be walking over a bridge because then Tobias says, at night, I can almost see what the water looked like when it filled the empty canal, dark and patterned with moonlight ripples. And yet you can't because the water is dried up. So there is no water. And he's like, I can almost see the water. And he says, come on, Tris, you're with me. Remember, no one's going to arrest you. I thought you were pretending to be broken up, but okay. Anyway, he pushes her against the wall. They start making out. They do the do, essentially. But before that, she's like, oh, I'm a bit nervous about Caleb. I don't know what to do. And he's like, oh yeah, that. Your brother being executed. Yeah, I was trying to pull you away so we can do the nookie in the streets. But oh yeah, I suppose we should talk about your brother that's going to be murdered. And he goes, oh yeah, you don't want him to die. I know you don't. So I guess we could just rescue him. And she's like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. I'm just thinking about what my parents would want. And I guess they'd think that it would be selfish to let him die. And it's like, oh my, or they'd be like, hey, that's our son. Can you rescue our son? Doesn't always have to be about the selfish and the abnegation of it all. And Tobias says, well, this isn't about what your parents want. It's about what you want. It's like, no, it's about whether or not this guy should die. And she goes, yeah, I I guess. I just want to make them proud of me. And he is their son and they do love forgiveness. So maybe we should rescue him. So Four goes, yep, cool. I'll just, I'll rescue him then. And she goes, oh, okay. <laughs> is, that, is that doable? And he goes, yeah, I'll just get him out of the cell tomorrow before we leave. I'll do it. Like, it's that easy. So if it's that easy, why are we debating it? Just do it for, just fucking do it. And she was like, oh, okay, thanks. And then he's like, okay, now that that's out of the way, can we get back to doing the nookie? So he's got his hands on her hips. He's pushing her against the wall. She's kissing him. He describes her skin as soft and it tastes like salt, like a night run. Ugh. That just means sweat. She tastes sweaty. It's funny how she's always describing him as smelling like the wind, whereas he's describing her as smelling like a sweaty mess. 
So then they do the nookie, but again, it's vague. We don't get the graphic description of it, which, you know, fair enough. And that's the end of the chapter. Then we go to chapter 10 and it's another Tobias POV, which is weird. I thought we were going, you know, Tris Tobias, Tris Tobias, Tris Tobias, swapping out one for the other. And now we've got two Tobiases back to back, but that last chapter was like a page long. So I don't know why it couldn't have just been a little section of the one chapter. Seems odd to just throw in another chapter, but here we are. So now he's saying that he's in the Dauntless section. I don't understand it. Okay, so he's gone back to Dauntless for the night. The night before they break out, the night before he rescues Caleb, it's already been midnight. They're walking back to Erudite and then he seemingly has a break and just runs off and goes to the Dauntless sector, which is who knows how far away. I think we're in the early hours of the morning here. So it must be like, what, 2 a.m. And he's gone to Dauntless by himself. And we're just cutting straight to it. There's no explanation of how this has come to be, how he might've said goodnight to Triss back at Erudite and then he left to go to Dauntless. He's just out in Dauntless. And she's writing it like it's a dream sequence or something, but it's really happening, I think. He says the air still feels rich in his lungs, though summer is drawing to a close, which we've got to hear about all the time now. She's always referring to how summer's ending. (laughs) And so he's just walking down memory lane, looking at Dauntless headquarters, just being like, oh, that's where I did this. That's where Triss tried to kill me. That's where I tried to kill Triss. I can still see Triss's father's blood on the wall, you know, just really romanticizing (laughs) Dauntless and just living the nostalgia. And then he goes into the fear landscape room and he flips open the small black box that was in his back pocket to see the syringes inside. So he's taken syringes with him to his visit to Dauntless. And now that he's in the room, he puts the needle over his throat and he shoots himself up with some fear serum. If he had the needles on him the whole time, I don't know why he had to go and do it in the fear room. He probably could have just done it anywhere, but maybe it was a nice private spot. I don't know. So now he's in the fear room. He's shot up with fear serum for shits and giggles, I think. And then we go through his four fears. He's on the top of the Hancock building. He's worried about zip lining to his death because he's afraid of heights. He gets that fear under control and then the room transforms and he's in an enclosed space reflecting his claustrophobia fear. And so he's trying not to panic. He's trying to keep it at bay. Boring, boring, boring. He gets over that. And then he's looking in the mirror and he's Marcus. His old fear used to be, I think, Marcus beating him. But now his fear is that he's become Marcus. And then he starts choking himself or something or other. But then the fear is about to overtake him. And then surprise, he gets over it. So then he's on his fourth fear. And he knows this is going to be the worst one. See, he knows all of this, so I don't know why he's doing it, but okay, he's like, oh, this is going to be the worst fear. I've got to prepare myself for this fear. And it's Triss lying in a pool of her own blood. He's shouting her name. She's coughing up blood. She's screaming for help. He can't help her. She dies. And then that's it. Then the darkness lifts, the lights return, and he's back in the fear landscape room. And so he says the lights return. Who's running the electricity? Is Evelyn not pinging some generator activity over on the Dauntless compound? I don't understand why he did that, but he's like, okay, yep, okay. Still got four fears. Good, good to know. Do, do, do. Um, yep. And he goes, all right, that's it. It's all sorted. I'm leaving my black box with its syringe and needle behind. 
I don't need to relive my fears anymore. All I need to do now is try to overcome them. So he's gotten something out of that, but I haven't. He's just saying that he's resolved to overcome his fears. Is that, has that not been his whole fucking plot point since book one? Is that not the whole purpose of the dauntless initiation system? Was it just because he's leaving the city and he, he wanted his last kicks going through his four fears? What? I don't get it. I don't get it. That was so pointless. And we're not even going to ruminate on it because then we just cut to it's the next day. He's going to try and break Caleb out of prison. Uh, why, why did we have this excursion into Dauntless? It's not even like I'm skipping over him thinking and talking and reflecting. There's none of that. He just says, I don't need to relieve my fears anymore. All I need to do is overcome them. It's like, okay. okay. And that's it. That's it. No explanation of why he went back to Dauntless. This was so bizarre. It's so bizarre. She just, it just feels like she copy and pasted and dropped it in from a different book. So he's going into the cells on the third floor and the guard has the gun pointed at Tobias and he's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, um, I'm Evelyn's son and I'm here to see a prisoner. You wouldn't want to go against Evelyn's son, would you? And he's like, um, well, I didn't hear about any after hours visits today. So I don't know if it's still the night before or it's the next night. No one knows. It must be the next night. And so some other person, she calls out, she's like, Chuck, let him through, he's fine. It's Evelyn's son, don't worry. And so this woman, Therese, has waved him in and he's like, oh, hi, Therese. He says, my name's Tobias Eaton. I'm here to collect a prisoner on orders from Evelyn Johnson. And she's like, okay. She doesn't give a shit. It's after hours, she's fed up. She's like, cool, do whatever you want. And he's like, do you need to check credentials or anything? And she's like, nah. She takes a piece of paper out of her pocket and he's like, oh, here it goes. Oh no, she's going to catch me. And she just says, yeah, what's the name of the prisoner? And he says, Kayla Pryor. And she goes, okay, yeah, go get him. (laughs) What? So she takes him to Caleb's cell and she types in the code. She lets the door open and she goes, all right, I'm not going to see nothing. And she just like turns her back. He thinks that she thinks Tobias is there actually under orders to kill Caleb. So she thinks it's like a under the cover of darkness execution type of a thing. And she's like, whatever. She's like, I'm about to go on break. Do whatever the fuck you want. She says, hey, do me a favor. Put in a good word for me with Evelyn. I don't want so many night shifts, okay? So she just, she's just letting Tobias kill this kid because she thinks she'll get in Evelyn's good books and she'll get off night shift. And it's like, I don't think you're going to get off night shift, Dal. You just let this guy in and let him take the prisoner out of the room. Like, what the what? You're not getting a promotion, sweetheart. So she just walks off back to her night shift. Tobias walks into Caleb's cell and Caleb's, uh, guess what he's doing? He's reading a book. Of course, because he's so erudite. He's always got to read a book even when he's in his cell in the middle of the night. I don't know why he's not sleeping. Why sleep when you can be reading, I guess? And Caleb goes, what do you want? And he goes, well, um, your execution's been moved up a few weeks to tonight, actually. And so Ford tells us that he decided a few hours ago how he wanted to handle this. He wanted to teach Caleb a lesson. So he's lying to Caleb, trying to heavily imply slash outright tell him that he's about to be executed when really he's about to save him, just to stir with him, just to prank him. And Caleb's like, ah, no, I've got a few more weeks left. And he's like, things change, Jagwad. He says, if you shut up, I'll give you an hour to adjust to this new information. If you don't shut up, I'll knock you out and shoot you in the alley outside before you wake up. Make your choice now. 
And so he's just like, okay, well, I guess I'll shut up then because I'd rather be alive for an extra hour. And Tobias is like, ha ha ha, the prank is working. The prank is afoot. So then he just walks Caleb out of there. They head towards an emergency exit door. He nods at that one woman who wants the promotion and he makes his way out with Caleb in tow. He knocks on the door. Zeke opens it. And Zeke's like, oh, hey, guys. <laughs> Zeke hands them a factionless branded jacket to put on Caleb. And he's like, Ali's clear. How about you punch me so it looks like I put up a fight? So then Tobias has to punch Zeke in the face to make it look like Zeke struggled when Tobias broke Caleb out of prison, even though there really was no struggle because that woman just let him out. It really was no effort at all. He just walked Caleb right out of there. So Four is getting ready to punch Zeke in the face and Zeke goes, do it fast, you pansy cake. Pansy cake. That's a new one. Do it fast, you pansy cake. And Four's like, fine, I will. And so he punches him in the jaw. And he says, I do like to hit people. I like the explosion of power and energy and the feeling that I'm untouchable because I can hurt people. What? <laughs> Since when has he been that violent? So we hit Zeke and Zeke's like, cool, thanks for that. Um, and then it turns into like a sweet moment where they then have to say goodbye. And Zeke's like, I guess I won't be seeing you again, will I? And he's like, oh yeah, probably not. And so then Zeke's like, well, look after Yuri for me, okay? And he's like, yep. Yeah. I'll look out for him. And then they're saying goodbye and he's thinking that this is one of his first friends when he was in Dauntless. They worked in the control room together. He never asked me for my real name or asked questions of me. He demanded nothing from me. And then they're, they're hugging. Meanwhile, Caleb's watching all of this being like, what the fuck is going on? He just punched that guy by request. Now they're hugging. What is this moment that I'm witnessing? And then he says to Zeke, I'll miss you as he's walking down the alley. And Zeke goes, you too, sweetie. What? And Caleb is picking up context clues because he's a smart erudite, remember? And he says, oh, are you going somewhere? (laughs) And he's like, yeah, no fucking shit. And Caleb says, oh, is my sister going with you? And Four loses it. He goes, she's not your sister, okay? You betrayed her. You tortured her. You took away the only family she had left. And all because you wanted to keep Janine's secrets, you are a coward. And Caleb's like, I'm not a coward. And he's like, yes, you are. And Caleb's like, fine, I'm a coward, whatever. Why can't you just kill me now? Why are you taking me? And Four's like, shut up, come on. And then Four also notices that they're being followed. But the person following them disappears and he can't see who's following him. And then we just leave it at that. This chapter feels more scattered than usual, doesn't it? It feels like we really just got dropped into the dauntless fear simulation room. And then we just got dropped into him at the cells, breaking Caleb out of jail. Then we've got him punching Zeke. And now someone's following him in an alley. And that thought's not getting explored very much. It's like, are we, are we rushing? Is Veronica Roth rushing to get out of the city and she's just skipping over shit? I don't really know what's going on. It feels like there's been a change of tone, perhaps. Because then they're at the train station and they're waiting for the train to come past. And because then they're going to have to jump on. It's not going to be able to stop. They're going to have to run on the platform and jump onto the moving train, which seems crazy because we know that the erudite girl who's on their heist, she can drive trains. She knows how to operate the train. So can she not just press the stop button or do they just not stop? Wild. So they jump onto the last car of the train as it whizzes past and inside is Triss and she kisses Four and says, I always loved watching you jump on the train. 
and he's smiling. And meanwhile, Caleb's like, ah, uh, hello. <laughs> I feel like Caleb has to keep reminding us that he's in the scene. And he goes, oh, is this what you wanted? You wanted her to be here when you kill me. Well, that's weird. And Tressa's like, what are you talking about? Kill him. And that's when Four goes, oh, that's right. I told him he was being executed today. <laughs> just a little white lie, just a little prank. And Caleb's like, oh, so I'm not? Can we just circle back to that? Um, so I'm not being executed? And Tobias goes, no, I just saved your life actually. And he's like, oh, okay. And Four says, you might not want to thank me just yet. We're taking you with us outside the fence. And Four thinks that that will be a more fitting punishment for him than death because he once turned on his own sister to avoid going outside of the fence. I don't really remember that that was a major plot point for Caleb, like that he really cared so much about going outside of the fence. I haven't paid that much attention to Caleb, to be honest with you, but now he's back as a main character. So then he takes Triss's hand and just walks her to the other side of the train car, I guess just to leave Caleb chilling by himself in the back of the train car. They're watching the city fly past them. And he says to Triss, we were followed. And she goes, well, we'll be careful. And Four says, okay, where are the others? And she says, oh, there are a few cars up ahead. I thought we should be alone. Okay, well, you remember that Caleb's also on the train. I hope you're not taking the first train to Bone Town. I know you're not Caleb's biggest fan at the moment, but maybe don't do it in front of him. You know what I mean? But Four gets it. He's like, oh yeah. He smiles back at her. He goes, these are our last moments in the city. Of course we should spend them alone. You're not alone. Caleb's like three meters away from you. And I love how like he walks her to the one end of the carriage. Like you're still within sight of Caleb. Carriages aren't that big. So they're looking out at the city and she says, I'm really going to miss this place. And he's like, really? My thoughts are more like good riddance. And she's like, ah, come on, surely you've got some good memories. And he's like, yeah, phew. He says, I got to have a different life in Dauntless, a different name. I got to be four thanks to my initiation instructor. He gave me the name. Why are we talking about this? (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) She goes, really? Why haven't I met him? And he goes, because he's dead, obviously. Do you think I would have just not let you meet my best friend and initiation instructor if he was hanging around? Like he's dead, he was divergent. Of course he was, because everyone's fucking divergent. And he goes, yeah, Amar was the first person who noticed that I was divergent. He helped me to hide it, but he couldn't hide his own divergence and that killed him. And she's like, oh, that's, that's sad. I bet he's not really dead. The fact that this guy's being brought up this late in the trilogy, I think Amar's gonna make an appearance because this is so random. And she's like, oh, poor Amar, poor divergent Amar. So many divergent people. She says, see, too many bad memories here. I'm ready to leave. Well, that's good because you're already on the train out of the city. Then they go past the abnegation sector in the distance. They look out on it, they smile, but the train hisses over the rails and a tear drops down Triss's cheek and the city disappears into the darkness. And that's the end of the chapter. So they've left the city. Well, they've left the CBD. They still have to find a way to get over the fence or through the fence or under the fence. Not sure how they're going to handle that one, but we'll have to cover that next week. So I'll see you guys then. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. 
You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.